What is that? Welcome to the retirement board meeting. Uh, this meeting is held, being held in, I guess, hybrid format still. Is that right? I know that's old notes. Um, before we begin, I'd like to remind all individuals attending the meeting that all health and safety protocols and building rules must be adhered to at all times. Uh, failure to adhere to these rules and requirements may result and removal from this room. We appreciate you cooperating with these important rules and requirements in the interest of everyone's health and safety. Please also note that there's hand sanitizer stations available throughout the building and each elevator and masks are available if people need them. Uh, Madam Secretary, please call the roll. Mr. Bridges. Present. Mr. Driscoll. Present. Mr. Gandhi. Present. President Safai. Present. Mr. Thomas? Present. And Commissioner Helfon is absent. We have a quorum. Great. Um, item number two, Madam Secretary, please call the first item. Thank you. Item number two is communications. We welcome the public's participation during public comment periods. There will be an opportunity for general public comment at this meeting after closed session. And there will be an opportunity to comment on each discussion or action item on the agenda. Each comment is limited to two minutes. Please note that city policies along with federal, state and local law prohibit discriminatory or harassing conduct against city employees and others during public meetings and will not be tolerated. Moreover, public comment is permitted only on matters within the jurisdiction of this meeting body. And we thank you for joining us. President Spai. Thank you. Uh, Madam Secretary, please call the next item. Uh, item number three is closed session. All right. So. Let's move to closed session. Thank you.
SFGovTV, San Francisco Government Television.
SFGovTV, San Francisco Government Television.
SFGovTV, San Francisco Government Television. SFGovTV, San Francisco Government Television.
SFGovTV, San Francisco Government Television.
SFGovTV, San Francisco Government Television.
Madam Secretary, please call the roll. Thank you. Commissioner Bridges. Present. Commissioner Driscoll. Present. Commissioner Gandhi. Present. President Safai. Present. Commissioner Thomas. Present. Thank you. We have a quorum. Great. So I'm going to make a motion uh, to not disclose items held in closed session under, wait, uh, yeah, under San Francisco Administrative Code Section 67.12a. Second. Motion made by me, seconded by Commissioner Thomas. Are there any members of the public who wish to make a comment on this item? Seeing none. Public comment is closed. And great. So there's been a motion made by Commissioner Safai, seconded by Commissioner Thomas. Can we do the all? Can we do we have to do a roll call or can we just do all those in favor? We can do all those in favor. Okay, okay great. All those in favor? All those opposed? Great. The ayes have it. Motion passes. Madam Secretary, please call the next item. Item number four, general public comment. Any members of the public wish to comment under general public comment today? Seeing none, I'm going to hand it over to our CEO, CIO, who has received some public comment today. Thank you. I will uh, read this into the record, uh, received via email. Good morning. My name is Kay Agbabai, and I'm the housing campaign coordinator at the Private Equity Stakeholder Project. I'm testifying in support of the residents of Southern Towers and a filed a complaint with the Federal Housing Finance Agency and Freddie Mac, which provided financing for the CIM Group's purchase of the apartment complex. According to our research, your pension fund has invested $931 million in the CIM Group. We are asking you to ha halt future investments until the CIM Group addresses these issues and to call on the CIM Group to stop the evictions. Any other Correspondence, Madam CEO, CIO. That is the only comment we've received. Um, I guess we can, I have a question as on that. Would now be the appropriate time to ask a question about CIO? We can do that during the, the CEO, CIO's report. Oh, the question about what was just right. I, I, I do want to have, I, I would like to ask some information about that. Um, well, it would be better addressed, I think, in, in the exactly. CEO CIO report because we don't do, do the back and forth on the right. Of course, I just wanted to say that for the record, in case anyone was listening, uh, that we will we'll address that during the uh, CEO report. Thank you. Okay, public comment is closed. Um, Madam Secretary, please call the next item. Thank you. Item number five, action item, approval of the minutes of the February 16, 2023 Retirement Board meeting. 
there a motion? So moved. So motion made by Commissioner Driscoll, seconded by? Second. Seconded by Commissioner Thomas. This will be for the approval of the minutes for February 16, 2023 retirement board meeting. Uh, is there any member of the public who would like to comment on this item? Seeing none, public comment is closed. So a motion has been made by Commissioner Driscoll, seconded by Commissioner Thomas. All those in favor? Aye. Aye. All those opposed? Okay, thank you. Motion passes. Madam Secretary, please call the next item. Item number six, action item, consent calendar. So is there a motion to approve the consent calendar? President, I move that we uh, adopt the consent calendar. Second. Motion made by Commissioner Bridges, seconded by Commissioner Driscoll. Are there any members of the public who wish to comment on this item? Seeing none, public comments closed. All those in favor of the motion? Aye. All those opposed? <clears throat> Great, the ayes have it, motion passes. Madam Secretary, please call the next item. Item number seven, action item. Approval of the semifinalists for SPURS request for proposals for public markets investment consulting services. Great, and I think Kurt, you'll be presenting on this. I am. Uh, good afternoon again, commissioners. Uh, you may recall at the October 2022 board meeting, the retirement board approved staff's recommendation to uh, issue an RFP for public markets investment investment consulting services. Uh, this was uh, multifold in, in terms of we're looking for a consultant to help us with public markets investment manager selection and monitoring, portfolio construction, operational due diligence, and performance measurement duties. During our discourse uh, about that item, we described the proposed process, which was essentially to issue an RFP, review and score those responses, uh, do subsequent interviews, on-site visits, reference checks, and ultimately narrow the list down to one finalist to, uh, with, with, with whom we expected to recommend uh, or for whom we would expect, expect to make a recommendation at the March board meeting. However, uh, some poorly drafted documents by myself uh, actually included some language in there that required us to get your approval of semifinalists. And so thank you to Commissioner Driscoll. <laughs> thank you for Commissioner, to Commissioner Driscoll for pointing that out. Otherwise we would have failed to- to Bring this to us. Well, I, we would have failed to adhere to the document that you guys approved. So thus the mea culpa element of um, of this action item. So again, this RFP was uh, issued on November 1st. We received responses from three firms by the uh, December 15th deadline. Upon re receipt of those proposals, assigned staff, and assigned staff included myself, Allison, Anna Langs, who oversees risk and asset allocation, Han Fong, who oversees public equity, and Allo Martins, who oversees fixed income, along with Andrew Collins, who oversees our ESG investing uh, efforts. All of us reviewed these proposals, uh, scored them, and we subsequently arranged uh, virtual meetings with each of the three respondents. And these virtual meetings focused on uh, three primary topics. First was clarity around the fee proposals, specifically what were they including in their investment due diligence proposals, their operational due diligence proposals. And each of them had a manager database. We wanted to make sure uh, we were clear on what fees we're paying for there. Similarly, we wanted to dive into each manager database and understand just how current they were in terms of their notes, uh, both uh, investment due diligence, operational due diligence. 
and then finally get some sense of their ability and, and, and thoughtfulness around portfolio construction. So based on our evaluation through those two initial steps, uh, it is the assigned staff's recommendation that the retirement board approve Makita Investment Group and Mercer Investments as semi-finalists for this particular RFP. I've provided some additional data for both firms, but I will note that both have a global research presence. Both have well-maintained and deep databases of manager research, a robust operational due diligence practice for public markets, and a strong commitment to ESG considerations. And again, the memo I provided provides some statistics that compare both firms. So it's an unexpected step, but we want to be respectful of the language that was in the RFP that you approved. And so we're asking board, the board's approval for these two to represent our semifinalists. Our intent then, if you were to approve these two, is to bring back a finalist recommendation next month. Just, just, just real quick, just a, just a, just a quick question. Um, is this is only for public market investment consulting services? Correct. So in October, we had you, uh, the board, approved two separate RFPs: one for public markets research, which is the one we're discussing, and a separate one that we think of as the the uh, the general consultant, which is the consultant to the board. Yes and also works with staff on matters of asset allocation and risk management. So two separate ones. Uh, our intent is to bring semi-finalists to the board next. Do we have one now currently? NEPC. That, that, that's right. Sorry. Yeah. And do we have a public markets investment right now? NEPC serves in that role currently oh, as, so they, as well. They do both. They do. So they didn't make the finalists correct for this. Okay, great. Thank you. Um, commissioners need a motion, please. Uh, uh, oh, do you have a question? Oh, I'm sorry. Right before he. No, no, go ahead. I just want to make sure. I, sorry. I understand both because he, uh, Kurt did read both of these last year. And so, as part of the ones that you're being back for the recommendation, you'll bring back the recommendation for this, a finalist, and then the recommendation for the separate one for the board. Will the board then interact with that? So, so, to be clear, our intent for this. RFP and the staff will bring a recommendation for a finalist next month. Next month, that's what I'm saying. For the other, the general consultant, our intent is to um, have the semi-finalists present to you. That's what I want to know. But that wasn't a requirement of the RFP. It, it was. For it is. That, for that, there was a distinction between the You're two. Right, groups. and that's what I wanted to clarify. Got it. They need to, that group needs to present. Correct. Yes, and that's why I wanted to make sure the board understood that, because we haven't heard that those um, consultants Right? Correct. Today. Uh, yeah. Who are the finalists for those? Are we allowed to say yet? Um, Not yet. I, okay, I don't think fine. so. Let's just wait. That's fine. Right, but I just want to make sure that everyone understood. We'll present. Yes. Got it. Okay. So, so sorry. For, I that, to... And it's an important role. It's the board's consultant. Yes. Again, they also work with staff on asset allocation, risk management. Yes. There, the board will have a presentation from the semi-finalists. And our intent is to have that occur next month. Right. So all of them will take place next month. I just want to make sure everyone understood the Thank distinction you. between the two. <laughs> Thank you, Commissioner Bridges. Okie dokie. Thanks, uh, Kurt. Commissioner Driscoll. Um, I'll focus on this to start with. I'm not trying to um, put any kind of a bias in the next round of your due diligence on this <laughs> search, but there's a huge difference in terms of uh, when I look at the client count to staff, huge difference between those two firms. That's one. Maybe it makes a difference, maybe it doesn't. So in the RFPs that have been submitted to the board, we'll be able to read. Are there examples of investment recommendations they made to clients? There are. 
because I've only gone through the first several pages. Okay, thank you. Um, secondly, I notice Mercer does discretionary consulting. Makita does not. Is that one of the major differences between them? Um, Makita does. Uh, they do discretionary consulting as well. It's it, they would they would describe it as OCIO, but that oh, is... oh, they're doing an OCIO function. All right. uh, okay, different things. Yeah. Now, there are there are distinctions between these two firms, and and it's our job then to kind of distinguish among them and see which is the best fit for our needs. So I assume you'll be focusing on the the services that are provided that we're interested in, which are not discretionary. Correct, but just just since we're on the topic, the form of uh, discretionary management does present some amount of conflict, right? So that that's what we have to think about. Well, there is a conflict. Well, on if. If then it can affect their compensation, et cetera. Exactly. So again, I just this has come up before. Great. Okay, that concludes my questions on this issue. If, Thank you. Is there a motion on the floor yet? Not yet. Would you like to make a motion? I move to accept staff recommendation to continue the RFP with these two firms, Mercer and Makita. I think the recommendation is to approve the semifinalists. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, just to clarify, the motion would be to approve Maqueta Investment Group and Mercer um, Investment LLC as semifinalists for the RFP for Public Market Investment Consultant Services. Motion made. Seconded by. Sure, second. I'm sorry, I thought somebody already seconded. You know, motion made by Driscoll. I just clarified it. That's all. Motion made by Commissioner Driscoll, seconded by Commissioner Thomas. Are are there any members of the public that wish to comment on this item? Seeing public comment is closed. Um, so a motion has been made by Commissioner Driscoll, seconded by Commissioner Thomas. Um, <clears throat> any discussion? No, we have that. So all those in favor? Aye. 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 All those Aye. opposed? Okay, the motion passes. Madam Secretary, please call the next item. Thank you. Item number eight, discussion item, report on investment performance for the retirement fund for the quarter ended December 31, 2022. Great. So I believe, is that you again as well, Kurt? Well, we have Alan Mark oh. joining uh, online. Allison. <clears throat> Thank you, Allison. Uh, for the record, it's can people hear me? Yes. Yes, good. Uh, for the record, Alan Martin with NAPC. We are the board's incumbent generalist advisor, as you just heard. Um, I did have another board call this morning around SVP, and I do appreciate being able to uh, do this by phone. If you turn to page 14, you have in your materials the final Q4 report from 2022. Seems like ancient history with all that's happened lately. The report covers periods ending 1231. Since the report was produced, a lot has happened. Uh, the S&P was actually up 6.7% in January, down a half a percent in February, and down about 2% in March. Uh, in March, if you looked yesterday, the S&P had given up everything it had generated for the year. Today, it's back uh, roughly up 2%. So it's been a very, very volatile period. As a backdrop to discussing the numbers you see in front of you, to context that, you'll recall that during the first three quarters of last year, we had both negative returns in stocks and bonds. 
That's something that's only occurred nine times in 30 years. And despite a rally in Q4, U.S. stocks were down 18% for the year, and the Bloomberg aggregate was down 13%. So a 60-40 portfolio during 2022 returned negative 16.5%. That is the worst annual return on a 60-40 portfolio in 100 years, with the two exceptions of 1937 and 2008. So that is the environment that this report is contexted against. A globally balanced portfolio was down even worse, down 18%. The median public fund with an AUM greater than a billion was down 10.9%, as you see here. And the median public fund of all public funds was down 12.7. So diversification helped, but it still resulted in negative returns. As you see here, your return for the year, negative 10.37%, was in the second quarter. The top line, again, to remind everyone, is total fund net of fee time-weighted returns, including the overlay, for various periods, followed by the ranking in this public fund greater than a billion universe. It's important to note that all your returns of greater than one year, despite this very challenging Q4, are significantly above 7.2%, the plan's assumed rate. That's generally not true for your public fund peers. This period has been damaging enough, as you saw to many of them, that for selected periods, they've actually dropped below that 7.2% uh, number. You'll also note it that for all periods greater than a year, you're in the top 1% of your peer group. And on the next page, you'll see the same is true. Don't flip it yet, but the same is true for 10-year and longer periods. You'll recall that our success was primarily due to a well-diversified asset allocation strategy with significant allocations to private equity, private credit, and real assets, and an active public market equity strategy which emphasized technology, biotech, healthcare, and China. Virtually all of those allocations were challenged in Q4. Um, the lag in private equity valuation started to show up. We've long known about that. I think you understand that private equity valuations generally lag public markets by a quarter. And of course, that meant the private market returns were still reflecting equity returns that were strong. Uh, which certainly wasn't the case in the first quarter. And the other strategies you've had, uh, the rising interest rate environment we're now in for the first time in a long time, has significantly hurt so-called longer duration strategies, technology, healthcare being among those. And so um, strategies like venture capital, technology, healthcare, and China, which was up in the quarter, had significant reversals in the year. For Q4, as you see here, uh, you earned 1.9%. I would point out if you annualize that, it would be a fine return, but it was in the 100th percentile of your peer, reflecting what was unusual in that all of these things had a reversal in that period of time. Line two is your policy index, which is what you would have earned if all your allocations were maintained at target and each asset class return matched the benchmark. With the exception of one year, you're going to see that all longer-term results still exceeded your policy, 
and that over the five and 10 year period, which included the difficult fourth quarter, um, in, it exceeded policy by 2% in one case and 1% in another. That could be thought of because it is net of fee as an alpha, and it's an extremely strong number in terms of results. You'll also note that all the results exceeded, as you see here, a 60-40 global portfolio and a 60-30-10 portfolio. You'll recall in 2017 and 2022, we chose to adopt an asset allocation policy, which was expected to generate less volatility uh, than our peers. You see in the, in the tables below, um, in fact, let me go back one page, if that's all right just to capture, uh, if you'll look at the lower right tables there, you'll see that in terms of volatility over both a three and a five year period, the volatility of the fund uh, as measured by standard deviation was in the bottom four or 5% of your peers. If you combine low risk with very strong equity returns to try to normalize and compare your fund to other funds with different asset allocations, that's done through what's called the Sharp Ratio, which is merely taking the return on your portfolio minus the risk-free rate for the period, which was very close to zero, and dividing that by standard deviation. That is what is called the Sharp Ratio. And in that ratio, again, a risk-adjusted return per unit of risk taken or volatility risk taken, you're in the top uh, one or 2% of your peers. And then lastly, the Sortino ratio, which is for Frank Sortino, a University of San, uh, San Francisco professor, it measures your downside volatility uh, versus the risk taken. And again, in that statistic, top 1%. At the end of 2022, the fund value of 32.6 billion was slightly higher than it was on 930, but well below the 37.2 billion of 1231-2002. Uh, the next page does have the longer term results. I wasn't gonna go through those, but again, uh, if you'll flip one page forward, you can see it adds the prior results. You'll see very longer term. I did add a few charts to focus on the longer term horizon and highlight the progression of returns over the last six years. So if you turn to page 17, I apologize, these next three pages I would have ordered differently. Uh, I recall that what we said in 2017 is we wanted to generate more stable returns going forward. At that time, the trailing five-year standard deviation of your returns had been roughly in the top 40%. So close to the middle, you can see as you move forward to where we are today, your trailing five-year standard deviation, as we mentioned earlier, is in the bottom three or 4%, meaning good, less volatile than your peers. If you then go to page 15, so go forward, here are your return rankings for the same period. And again, it's the ranking of your returns. You'll see in 2017, you were in the top 5% of your peers. So you had been doing well, uh, and you can see Going forward, we've moved from the top five or 6% of your peer group to the top 1% we talked about earlier. And finally, if you look at page 16, which is risk-adjusted returns, risk uh, uh, return per unit of risk, 
again, we started fairly competitively top 10% and have moved progressively with the asset allocation changes you've approved and the managers, the staff is recommended to be selected. You've moved into the top 1%. That's all I was gonna say on performance. If there were any questions, I would turn now to compliance. And for that, we go to page uh, three pages forward to page 18. Column three is the percentage allocation to each asset class on 1231. Column four is the long-term board approved target, which will be reviewed. In fact, we are working with staff currently to revisit uh, the long-term asset allocation process. You'll note that all of your allocations are within range with the small exception of real assets and private equity, which are less than 1% over target. Um, if you remember in the prior quarters, private equity, largely due to the outstanding success of your program, had actually gotten up to 33%, which was significantly over the 30. The valuation catch-up process and what's called the denominator effect has brought us down very close to the range and would expect that to be uh, uh, adjusted as in the quarter we go through. So neither of those overages are due to any uh, bad planning. They were the consequences of markets that are now being normalized. Um, so it, again, all of the allocations are with rain, within range with the exception of those two and reasonably close to long-term targets. Page 20 reports on cash flow for the portfolio. If you'll look at on, on the one-year period, uh, you uh, that minus 1% return for the year was a negative $3.7 billion in investment returns. And your net payout contributions, less benefits, or benefits minus contributions, net payout was almost $800 million for the period. If you look at the three years, this is what you'd more normally expect as a, as a mature plan. You'd expect to see a negative cash flow, contributions will be less than benefits paid. Uh, that averaged about uh, 600 million a year. And then your asset return over the last three years, including the last period, was a positive almost $7 billion. The one thing I did wanna highlight because it influences the asset allocation planning is the success of this program had led you, as you know, to be one of the few public funds that were overfunded. That is good news, but the consequence of being overfunded is your actuarial projections now call for a reduction in contributions going forward. That's always welcome to the people that sponsor that. But the contribution levels or the distribution levels stay high. So the negative cash flow that we're going to experience going forward will be bigger than what you see here. And that suggests that liquidity will become an issue as we look at the asset allocation process. And we're going to rely more on investment returns going forward because that negative cash flow will increase. Just wanted to point that out. We'll certainly discuss that further. So the good news is you can never relax. You've done extraordinarily well. That's good for the contributors. But it also means going forward, we have to generate those higher returns and more uh, consistently. With that, the next few pages are risk and return charts. Let me just do two of them. If we turn to page 21, on the left, you see that difficult one-year period we talked about. 
each of those points is the risk or the return and volatility of a public fund greater than a billion. The return is plotted on the vertical or the horizontal, the, the vertical axis, the volatility on the horizontal. You're the dark blue circle at the lower left. So we did better than the median fund in terms of return and our volatility, as we talked about earlier, significantly less. In one way, this is different from the next three charts is our policy index for that period actually had a higher return, although a higher volatility as well. The next few charts are more typical of the longer term. And if we go to page 22, you see the five and 10 year results. So for five years, the total fund return of 7.94%. You're the highest dot on that chart, meaning you're the best performing fund in this universe. Not saying there aren't other funds outside the universe uh, that did better, but you in this universe were the top performing fund. You were one of the least volatile, as you can see. And the return of your actual portfolio relative to the light blue circle is both higher in return and lower in volatility. That is a highly desirable characteristic. It says the actions taken by staff and approved by you in terms of manager selection and portfolio positioning have both added return and reduced volatility to the total results. Uh, the chart version of that is on page 25. These are the same statistics, so I won't go over them in detail. We already discussed that the return of 7.94 was the highest in your peer group. Uh, hold on one second. Uh, the highest in the peer group. The volatility or standard deviation was in the fifth percentile of the peer group. You want to be low in this measure. And then the sharp ratio and Sortino ratios are, are uh, discussed further on. What we want to do now is look at the attribution. Why did we do better uh, than our policy in any one period? And that would start on page 30 for the one-year result. So for the one-year result, if you recall, 10.37 negative. The policy index was down 9.18, which means we underperformed policy by the 1.15%. This chart attributes that either to positioning or allocation, meaning where we over-allocated to asset classes that did well and under-allocated to asset classes that did poorly, or and or did we have managers that outperformed their benchmarks within the asset class. The allocation effect minus 14 basis points is very small. That's what you would hope. We're not taking a lot of risk in how we position the portfolio relative to our targets. It's negative in this case, but it's small. That leaves the selection effect of negative 1.01% uh, as, as the result of manager selection. This looks at a year. If you were to go down that excess return column, you'll see the major contributors to underperformance for the year were public equity, uh, which we talked about. That was the overweight to asset classes that didn't do well as rates started to rise, and China, which continues to be a challenge. Largest economy in the world, one of the fastest growing, recovering nicely, but all kinds of political risk around investing in China. Um, you see absolute return trailed its benchmark. 
We've talked about before that benchmark is T-bills plus five, which is an aggressive benchmark. Uh, the 1.04% trailed that. And you'll say liquid credit did not do as well. Again, positioned against a neutral portfolio det a detractor. The flip side is private credit. Uh, earned 5.6% in a market where core fixed income was down 9% and private equity continues to do well. The cash number is a very large negative and that has to do with the mechanics of a small part of your portfolio being in cash and reinvested in equities and fixed and uh, 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 in leverage and equitized uh, product. We're still working with the custodian to appropriately model that. Uh, so that has not been a contributor in this period. I think that's largely due to the fact that the equitized cash position, when you equitize uh, cash in a market where equities go down, you, you have negative effects, but it's small, as we'll see. In terms of attribution on a five-year basis, if we go to page 32, here is really the longer term. It's more stable and it's more representative of the whole portfolio over the period. 7.92% was the actual return we reported earlier. The benchmark policy in this period did 5.85%. Again, you'll see that allocation effect. In this case, it's positive, uh, but it's also small, which is what you would uh, desire to have. Um, you'll also note that the selection effect is now 2% positive, and that's net of fees to remind everyone. So it is, uh, it's an alpha type number. Um, the primary drivers of that success are again, private equity and private credit, uh, both of which substantially outperformed their benchmarks. The detractors, if you were, if we did this a quarter ago, uh, the private uh, public equity would have been a strong positive contributor. In this period over the five years, public equity was a detractor to performance. And so um, the, the very strong returns we generated from an active strategy in public equity investing over the last five years were significantly challenged by the very down quarter that we have. The results over the long term are fine. The near term has been a reversal. I'd also suggest that the, your staff did not go out and sell these securities. You still hold them by and large, uh, but is being revisited in terms of the, the, val the validity of those under, underlying assumptions going forward. Um, and that's something that'll, that'll come up as we go forward, both from staff reviews of asset classes, as well as the asset liability study. Um, so again, that was the attribution. The remaining pages add a lot of detail. I was going to try to summarize them for you. And then if we want to go in and look at the more granular results, happy to do that. But the following pages get into asset class returns versus competition and look at a more granular view of the components. While we're still having some difficulties, as I mentioned, separating returns from leverage, uh, I can tell you over the period since we report with and without leverage, the impact on cash equitization and leverage on returns at the total portfolio level is, is very small. Uh, for the one year, it was negative 14 basis points. 
uh, which I would suggest is probably mostly due to cash equitization. Anna would have the more detailed breakdowns uh, in terms of how much is leverage and how much is cash equitization, but it wasn't a significant impact, which is good because this has not been a period where either of those had been a particularly strong performer, but important to continue to do that going forward in the long term. Most segments of public equity underperformed their benchmarks, but global equity and small cap actually held up. So it wasn't uniform, uh, but the major strategic bets on technology, healthcare, and biotech were eroded by the fourth quarter result. Private credit, where you have 8% of your portfolio, generated 5.6% in a year, whereas I mentioned earlier, if that had been left in core bonds, you would have lost 8.2% of your money. That is an extremely important contributor to overall performance. And where public markets underperformed by and large, the managers within the asset class did well against the benchmark. So the underperformance is not that you picked managers that did poorly relative to their strategy, but the overweight to those segments uh, was an, a negative contributor. Um, as a reminder, the detail of the managers is available to the board. Uh, and I'd be happy to take uh, detailed questions, but I wanted to, to stop there with that summary. Commissioner Dresco. I'd like to go back to page 14. I just want to understand something. We'll take it to the top section. <clears throat> Where the policy index numbers are listed, going to the 10, 15, and 20-year numbers, do those numbers reflect what the policy was in effect at that time? Or yes. are you using yes. the current policy using? No, it, it is the, it's the former Joe. It's the policy that existed at that time, times those returns compounded through time as the policy index changed. So, so it, it does capture how we've changed policy. Yes, it does. How we've decided to be more illiquid, little special tilts that staff has recommended. Yep. Okay. And, and the performance there, as you note, is, is, is quite competitive. Your combination of policy over time was good. Uh, your results have done even better than that. So, yes. That part is fine. Uh, I guess then the thing I want to perhaps illustrate or tell you, which you already know, but there's been a certain amount of spe uh, speakers against what we've done in the absolute return. Maybe the absolute return is yet not quite hit the targets that we hope it shall return. But the addition of absolute return to our asset mix has had a positive effect. Not that we knew fixed income would not do as well what fixed income has been doing for the last couple of years. But it actually didn't simply reduce our volatility, but it actually has contributed to our total return. Yes. Not, one of the reasons doing is not simply getting volatility down. Not, not as high as, as was expected, but that is indeed true. Okay. So again, just trying to, not always looking for reasons to say staff well done, but uh, obviously our members are also listening to and watching what we're doing. So this, uh, it was more than an experiment. Now that we've been with absolute return for over five years, we're not satisfied yet, but it's achieved one of the major reasons for doing it. Thank you. That's correct. Thank you, Joe. Comments, commissioners?
their uh, motion? Oh, wait, sorry. Mr. Uh, we had discussion. Um, is there any members of the public that would like to comment on this item? Seeing none, public comment is closed. Um, Madam Secretary, please call the next item. Thank you. Item number nine, discussion item, Chief Investment Officer's Report. Great, thank you. Um, I'll, I'll hit on a couple of the standard items that we always read into the record, uh, discuss uh, briefly SVB since I'm sure it is on everybody's mind uh, and provide you an update uh, on some of the strategic initiatives within uh, investments. So first, uh, as of the end of February, the estimated plan value is uh, $32.9 billion. Um, since we last met, one deal has closed. Um, it is not in your materials because it closed after the materials were sent out, so I am reading it into the record. Uh, at the board meeting on February 16th, the retirement board improved in closed session um, an investment of up to $100 million to be allocated to Caxton Global Investments Global Macro Fund. SFIRS investment of $25 million in Caxton Global Investment closed on March 1st, 2023. This investment is classified as global macro investments within our absolute return portfolio, share class B of Safari 2. Now, um, turning to uh, Silicon Valley Bank, um, which has um, very much been in, in both the financial news, in the local news, and just about every uh, um, news source available, um, wanted to touch on that and assure our stakeholders and assure this board um, that the team here has been very, very active in monitoring the situation and um, um, the the impact on the assets of this fund thus far have been um, minimal. And let me tell you what I mean by that. Um, we have exposure to SVB through equity investments, and we have exposure to SVB by partnering in the private markets with funds who they themselves may bank with SVB or the portfolio companies that, that are in those funds bank with SVB. On the public market side, our investment was minimal, uh, less than a million dollars, that's 0.003% of the total fund. Um, so not a significant impact. With respect to um, uh, our private market uh, partners and, and the funds that they hold, with the action of the FDIC uh, over the course of the weekend and by this past weekend and by Monday, um, where they backstopped all the depositors, um, that significantly mitigated uh, risk in the marketplace, uh, and those partners were able to continue to operate. But at the same time, in talking to many of our partners, they were taking uh, risks to uh, measures to evaluate the situation, um, determine uh, various partnerships, and act uh, should frankly, the FDIC not had st stepped in. So um, the, the good news here is um, with respect to those investments, um, the, there's been no significant issue on cash flows. This team will very closely continue to monitor uh, any impact on individual stock holdings, uh, impact on regional banks, uh, and, and what's going on in the broader market. Because it's in times like these um, where volatility is introduced into the broader market, and that will mean there will be some managers with certain strategies that can benefit, and there will be some managers uh, with certain strategies that may face pressure. For instance, the two-year yield, I believe, on Monday was a 
13 standard deviation event move. So managers that had exposure in the wrong way to, to, to that, um, thinking that rates were going to continue to rise, um, we may start to see some effect of that. And there are other managers that may have taken opportunity of dislocations to step in. So time, um, you know, we'll see how this all uh, flushes out over time. The good news here, again, is our diversified approach to investing is one that is um, um, designed to, uh, to to manage through volatile market environments. Are there any questions on SVB before I turn to the strategic initiatives? Specifically on SVB? So I, I, mean, I saw the, the information you provided about the direct investment, but then you said you're in the conversations with related managers looking for exposure in terms of the relationship that they might have had investments from or relationship to Silicon Valley Bank. So have you all, have you done a deep analysis on the impact? So, so we looked and, and have spoken with uh, our private market managers that they themselves who have banked with SVB or those that have portfolio companies in the fund that bank with SVB. There has not been a significant impact on cash flows uh, or, um, or, or the operations of those businesses. They all went into full court press mode uh, as the situation was evolving to mitigate that risk. But at this time, given the, FDIC, the FDIC stepping in, um, there's not a significant impact for our private market uh, managers. Commissioner Driscoll. Yeah, um, because I think it has to do with, oh, sorry. This, in your report is the graph that shows the market value versus the actuarial value. Only because I think last month a few people misunderstood our funding ratio. We were a little bit below 100% even last month, but we're also, again, just, it's moved us a little bit, but overall, we're, our ability to deliver every pension check is still just as great as it ever was. Absolutely. Uh, thank you for asking the question. I will absolutely reiterate that we manage liquidity very closely. We manage the total assets very closely. Um, and we will continue um, without a doubt to meet uh, our monthly uh, pension obligations. So in that market value to actuarial liability, we're still in about that 99% range, something like that. I mean, I know the numbers will change in, in a couple of months, but anyway, thank you. Other questions? I can turn to the um, the slides that are, that are in the materials. Wanted to take the opportunity today, since Alan went through the detail of performance, to focus uh, my remarks a little bit more closely and provide you an update on some of the strategic initiatives that I've talked to you in the past about and give you an update of things that we, we discussed in December. Um, so to go through that first, uh, I had highlighted that we're really focused on better utilizing technology and our team has done a phenomenal job starting to onboard a new uh, um, investment management software platform. And we've made a lot of progress there and I think it's going to uh, help the team um, uh, manage workflows, um, manage information and make uh, robust decisions. Uh, secondly, uh, we had talked about enhancing portfolio construction. Um, thank you for your support and the guidelines. That was a big step uh, in that process. And um, to give an example of where that uh, might impact uh, when there are big macro issues um, going on, I think the question came up earlier about how we're positioned relative to some of those macro issues. If we take global equity as an exa example, we put in guardrails to make sure 
that when we take risk in that asset class, only so much is coming from country effect, only so much is coming from sector effect, and only so much uh, is coming from stock selection effect. So that is precisely one uh, tool that we have now at our disposal to, to manage risk in, in a, a, um, an environment where macro risk has increased. Um, we will be coming back to you uh, on the absolute uh, return guidelines. Uh, we've had some good comments here today about the role of that asset class, and we've been having very detailed discussions and debates on, on how we can most effectively uh, structure that asset class to um, uh, put it uh, in a position to continue to, to succeed and deliver what we want it to, to deliver for the um, total fund. Um, again, a little bit tied to that question on macro issues, our team continues to evaluate some of the themes of where we're invested. We've been having very extensive conversations, particularly on China, uh, with not only our managers uh, that invest in China, with um, geopolitical experts, with sort of macro advisors, uh, utilizing the resources of all of our great partners to understand um, um, uh, the dynamics in, in, in that marketplace. And, and we'll have further discussions on that over time. We've made progress uh, in terms of recruiting talent, as I mentioned, uh, I think in the prior me meeting where we hired in um, private credit and our asset allocation, and we have a position open in private equity that we're actively looking to fill. We also continue to um, evolve the investment process. Um, we're making progress, as Kurt talked earlier, in terms of an um, external consultant and really incorporating operational due diligence into our platform. And if we want to take Silicon Valley Bank as an example, that's where making sure that we understand how our, our managers manage cash uh, and, and have their compliance and system set up. You can see why um, doing the appropriate diligence up, up front is important. And then finally, on port, uh, sorry, on uh, portfolio construction, as Alan mentioned earlier, we are actively working with NAPC and working with the team here in, uh, um, internally on the updated asset liability study and making sure that we have a robust process to include um, both sort of the, the traditional asset liability approach, but really incorporating uh, the needs that we will have in coming years for liquidity, uh, given the dynamics that Alan outlined. So uh, a, a lot to cover, but I wanted really to convey that over the course of uh, really only a handful of months, we've made a lot of progress on uh, a lot of these initiatives. only because um, how it's worked out rather successfully. And I know that what's gone on the last several months, or even the last 15 months is, is not a huge indicator. However, our tilt towards China has been, has worked out rather well for us, particularly how it's done regionally. However, now that they are themselves are forecasting a growth rate of somewhere between five to five and a half, we started, I think we were assuming nine, then we lowered it to six. Again, I assume you and your team are factoring all those issues when you figure out which way to tilt and how you're able to move money between managers and between sub-asset classes. Absolutely. The discussions we're having, um, generally I'd say, is how much exposure do you want uh, in China? And then if you're going to be in China, where are the pockets of opportunity? Uh, in this market environment, given the trends of our, our government, of the Chinese government, there are certain areas that, that we want to avoid and certain areas that we want to stress. And that's where partnering with knowledgeable managers in this space is critical. Great, thank you.
any other questions, commissioners? Nope. Any uh, members of the public that wish to comment on this item? Seeing none, public comments closed. Madam Secretary, please call the next item. Thank you. Item number 10, discussion item, Deferred Compensation Committee Report. And that's going to be presented by... Oh. Uh, by the Chair, Commissioner Bridges. Yes. You have your mic on? Yes. Thanks. Thank you, Mr. President. Uh, the Deferred Compensation Committee met on uh, February 22nd, 2023. Um, my report is stated here. Uh, we approved the minutes. We also had a great discussion on the preliminary target date funds and glide path recommendations and tax class allocation. Ms. Chui Justin will give you a complete detail uh, synopsis on all of the discussion points that are listed in my report, as well as talk about the approved proposal for target date funds, the vintage, and the uh, target date funds re enrollment, which is very key and crucial. That is something we must get done, and that's going to be discussed in detail by Ms. Chui Justin. Additionally, we uh, finished our meeting uh, with the approval of Callan to begin the manager search uh, for the process for underlying the target date fund investments, and that's important as well. So you have a few items coming before the board in the next few months as we finalize a lot of these important details. So at this time, I'll move forward in the next item that we, will come up on um, the Deferred Compensation Committee where Ms. Chewy Jessen will go into detail on all the items that are outlined in my committee report. Thank you, Mr. President. Thank you. Um, anything else? Perfect. No Any questions from commissioners? Okay, great. Uh, any members of the public wish to comment on this item? Seeing none, public comments close. Thank you, Commissioner. Uh, Madam Secretary, please call the next item. Thank you. Item number 11, discussion item, SFDCP monthly report. Mm -hmm. No, I think your mic is off. There you go. Can you hear me okay? Yes. Okay. Thank you so much. Good afternoon, commissioners, and thank you, um, President Safai, uh, for the item, and to Commissioner Chair Bridges uh, uh, for uh, the report. As you recall, I provided a full quarterly report last month, which captures much of the activity of the SFDCP. Um, attached to this item is the most recent monthly activity report for your reference. Uh, that includes plan assets, demographic and investment information, money in and out, and loan information. Uh, please let me know if you have any questions. Otherwise, I just have a few small updates for the board. Uh, first off, congratulations to DCC Chair uh, Leona Bridges on her reappointment to the Retirement Board. We are fortunate to have her leadership in the plan, as well as the guidance from Commissioner Driscoll and Thomas, and we look forward to continuing working with you for another five years. Um, on to DCC business. We have been working with our record keeper, Voya, on the mandatory provisions as a result of the Secure 2.0 Act. Uh, these were provided also in last month's quarterly report for your reference. Uh, in addition, due to the requirement of catch-up contributions being raw and identified participants who earn less than $145,000, we're opening up the dialogue with the controller's payroll office on the business requirements needed to create a project for this additional coding 
in the payroll files that goes back and forth between Voya and City. So um, there's a lot of work happening at the moment. Uh, there are also optional provisions as a as a result of Secure 2.0, such as an emergency savings account. Uh, those options are being reviewed by staff, but we are focusing on the mandatory ones first uh, before bringing any recommendations on uh, the optional provisions that we should recommend enacting. The target date fund transition uh, that Commissioner Bridges had referred to earlier is currently on track. We have a very important DCC meeting on April 12th, where we will bring the final glide path recommendation to the DCC, hoping that they forward it with a recommendation to the full board at the April meeting. So next month, we'll be bringing our final recommendation on the glide path. Um, and that meeting at the DCC will also include a cybersecurity update, which covers how the SFDCP is protected and the barriers put in place with VOIA to protect our participants. So um, next month, we will definitely have more information for you, and uh, we look forward to you um, blessing our recommendation. We also have uh, our newest SFDCP uh, counselor. His name is Michael Wade. Michael Wade will now be serving the police department. You can find his bio on sfdcp.org. We have been working directly with police to get the word out via their inter internal department emails, as well as the POA journal. Michael Wade also has a military background, and we believe he is a great fit for police. You can find a listing of all our departments dedicated to each counselor also on sfdcp.org. And finally, um, this, the Q2 stable value crediting rate is not yet available, but should be closer to the end of the month. That could be found on sfdcp.org. I will include it in next month's report, given the recent collapse of SVB and Signature Bank and now the Credit Suisse limo and the recent bank downgrades, it should be interesting to see how it does impact our investments. And Ben Taylor from Callan should be able to cover that shortly in the next item as part of the semi-annual update. So that's all I have for my monthly activity report. Uh, happy to take any questions. Any questions, commissioners? Nope. Okay. Great. Any members of the public wish to comment on this item? Seeing none, public comments close. Um, we'll call it presentation, right? Yes. There's that was that was my presentation. I'm done with this item. Okay, great. Okay. So thank you. Madam Secretary, please call the next item. Item number 12, discussion item, review of SFDCP investment performance for the second half of 2022. Thank you, President Safayi. This is um, the semi-annual performance report. As you know, Callan is our investment consultant um, and Ben Taylor from Callan is here to provide a report on the investment performance. Um, ben is starting to share his screen. Ben, please proceed. Thank you. Can everyone hear me okay? Yes, thank you. Okay, great. So I'll uh, just go through the, the brief highlights here and be happy to answer any questions with respect to any specific managers or alternatively with respect to SVB and the broader impact. Uh, it is certainly the topic du jour. Uh, I'm fortunate to have followed both, um, uh, well, several different iterations of the market environment. So I don't know if I'll be going through that unless there is an appetite for me to go through it yet again. 
Um, fundamentally, there are just a few things to update. So um, the deferred compensation plan as of uh, December 31st was valued about $4.3 billion. Uh, that is down from the prior year by 700 some odd million dollars and consistent with the broader decline that we've seen in the overall markets. Uh, with respect to the target aid funds, their performance ranged from 0.41 down to plus 1.65 over that six month period of time, the prior six months that we're reporting on. The shorter and longer term results both remain strong for the vintages um, uh, across the board. They're still performing quite well, mostly driven by uh, the manager selection throughout the glide path. With respect to the watch list as key items, there's just a handful of items that we need to discuss with respect to uh, the managers. Uh, first, uh, LSV is the sole large cap value manager. Uh, they are on watch because of their three and five year performance uh, per the investment policy. This is not something that is a, an ongoing source of concern with respect to LSV. This is mostly related to the first quarter in 2020 as a single point in time underperformance. More recent term performance has been uh, strong and significantly ahead of benchmark over most time periods. The large cap growth fund does rank in the third quartile and behind the index overall for the last three and five year periods. Uh, a significant portion of this is driven by the T-Bro Price uh, large cap growth fund. And uh, in particular, their performance is fairly poor, but it is mostly driven by uh, their tech holdings and their security selection specifically within tech. So that's one that would qualify for uh, for watch lists. And we may want to explore some action with respect to these funds uh, in the future, uh, in addition, potentially looking at a pair other than the Vanguard Growth Index Fund over time. So we'll we'll be coming back to you with some potential action on that. Uh, in the future, um, but in the meantime, this is just a watch list criterion uh, that we wanted to make sure we reported on for the investment policy. Uh, the Wells Fargo Short Duration Bond Fund is uh, one of the component funds uh, that are utilized within the target date funds. It's not directly offered as an investment option. Uh, it did change to Allspring by virtue of the change with respect to uh, Wells Fargo and Allspring. Uh, but overall, the primary difference here is just a difference in duration position. They're a bit longer duration when rates have been rising quickly, so they've underperformed relative to their benchmark and peers. Uh, obviously, that'll have some benefit as well down the line uh, once the, the rate increases stop and you can benefit from the longer duration positioning. Uh, no significant concerns with respect to the Wells Fargo Short Duration Bond Fund. Uh, any questions initially with respect to the watch list update before I proceed for commentary on the individual managers or the overall market? Hearing none. You've seen some of these charts. I think uh, Mr. Martin just uh, presented them as well, so I won't rehash uh, our versions of them. But uh, fundamentally, just call your attention to this bullet point over here on the, the left-hand side. Um, there are 38 quarters in about 100 years, or 10% of quarters, stocks and bonds have been down together twice on an annual basis. So very bad year for diversification an emblem of what we have seen with respect to uh, both stocks and uh, and fixed income securities being significantly affected by central bank policy and inflation in a way that is fairly unique in history um, that has undermined the ability for diversification to be protective. But that has been discussed at length earlier in today's meeting. It's another visual representation of the degree to which uh, the returns are or are not abnormal uh, with respect to the equity markets uh, right here. Just pointing out the frequency with which you in this chart, as you can see on the bottom, it'll show the sorts of magnitudes of return. Moving ahead from the yield curve positioning and in, in GDP and CPIs, I think these have been well addressed uh, elsewhere. I'll just go ahead and move to the 
First of all, the stable value fund continues to be the largest uh, uh, fund in the plan with over a billion dollars in, in assets. Continues to perform well, no concerns with respect to the stable value fund. Significant amount of U.S. large cap equity, so it is why we do need to pay some attention. As noted earlier with respect to the investment. Watch those triggers. Hey, Ben, you're um, yes. cutting in and out, so I don't know if your uh, connection. Oh, I'm terribly sorry. Um, still occurring, Diane? Not now. Okay. Yeah, I'm I'm not sure as to why I should have a stable connection here. It hasn't happened. Over time, so hope it, it doesn't occur, but if it does, please do let me know. Um, here, I'll just be brief. Um, as, as noted, there's very, very close performance with respect to the custom benchmark for the targeted funds, as noted earlier. Um, it is mostly a bit of relative uh, outperformance on the, the target retirement date benchmark for the near-term funds in particular. But overall, they're fairly close to their benchmarks in the near term, but all outperforming on a relative basis net of fees. For the last year, similar story, very, very close. And the further we go out, we get persistent, modest outperformance. So note, the targeted funds do have a lower equity allocation on the current glide path for the funds that are 20 years from and in retirement relative to peers which doesn't impact relative performance as uh, On this chart, just to, to help everyone read this chart very briefly, uh, green indicates that there's no issues that would trigger an investment policy statement concern. Blue would indicate, indicate a third quartile performance, and the goldish color would indicate a fourth quartile performance, standard being measured. You can see the SFDCP large cap social equity. Uh, this is reflective of the, the FTSE uh, for good US select index. Um, this just basically means that it's benchmarked against a core a benchmark, but it has a bit of a growth orientation. Uh, and in this time period, uh, that was not beneficial. This will move around with respect to peer group performance uh, over this time frame, just by virtue of the construction of the fund and the relative um, differences relative to core mutual funds because of the persistent growth bias, which is oftentimes the case with respect to social equity funds. For large cap value equity, you can see what I noted earlier with respect to near-term performance. Large cap value funds uh, doing well over the last year, the last quarter, with a three-year return being right on, uh, and then a little bit worse off because of that 2020 return. This is mostly just an, uh, an effect of the peer group rank. That's something that we have already been aware of. Cap growth equity, uh, you can see the last year return um, substantially underperforming the benchmark due to those securities. Principally associated with the zero price. Again, uh, those trends continuing with respect to the last quarter return. So that was what was called out earlier uh, with respect to Ben, can you make sure to speak into your mic because you're continuing to cut out a little bit? I will do my utmost, yes. I will get as close as I can to my laptop. Is this better? Yes, thank you. Thank you so much for the reminder, and I apologize for the inconvenience. Um, with respect to other funds, I'll just move quickly to those that um, have an impact with respect to um, investment policy. For international equity, this blue color is just indicative of the of the peer group, um, and that's not a source of concern for us. Um, the funds are performing as expected. Um, 
and performing better than benchmarks um, in the most recent quarter and over the longer term. The equity index, this is a, a difference with respect to ranking that is causing this. And it's just a, an effect of a fair value pricing for the international equity index. Uh, real estate, um, short term, but it's mostly related to differences in the composition of the holdings uh, relative to the benchmark. This will move around over time, but it's not a major source of concern uh, from our perspective with relative performance. Just a note as well for the longer term performance as noted uh, for the real estate fund, this is a blend of return between both Morgan Stanley and principal. And so the principal real estate return is, is listed below, which as you can see for the last year return 24.9 versus 24.5. So very much in line with benchmark of the last year, a little bit of a dip in the last quarter, but of a washout over time. With respect to the targeted fund component returns, uh, just a couple of notes. There's the Wells Fargo Advantage, now Allspring, short duration bond fund, as noted earlier. Uh, this is principally a, a duration difference relative to the benchmark. Some of the peers, not a source of concern for the long term. Uh, the PIMCO High Yield Fund, uh, just a, a general note, this is going to move around a little bit, but when you see the benchmark performing in the, in the top percentile, <laughs> That's going to be consistently interesting in terms of total performance pattern. And this does move around a little bit as well. As you can see with the three year return, uh, that was in the 99th percentile for the benchmark. Uh, Nuveen Global Infrastructure, like a couple of these, uh, there's going to be differences in the benchmark composition. There's a significant amount of out of benchmark securities here, uh, in particular things like um, infrastructure related to data centers and technology. And as those are in favor, out of favor, you'll see this uh, move up and down with respect to relative performance compared to the benchmark. No, no concern there either, uh, even though it does hit the three-year, but not the five-year trigger for the investment policy statement. Same story for the principal global uh, real estate security CIT. Um, in terms of its relative performance, it's a significant difference with respect to um, some of the holdings compared to the benchmark in the near term, as well as some valuation cycles. Uh, no concerns as well with respect to this investment. I'll pause there and see if there's any questions that I should address, or if you'd like me to cover anything with respect to Silicon Valley Bank, Signature Bank, or the other actions of the Federal Reserve or otherwise. Any questions, Commissioners? Uh, Commissioner Driscoll? Are you going to continue on about the other parts of this portfolio? I have a question about one particular manager. Um, what what uh, manager would you like to discuss? Well, I don't want to cut you off if you're going to continue talking. Oh, no, I'm, I'm done. You're done? Okay. Question. Uh, two questions. Working with T. Rowe Price. Sure, you're muted. You got to hit the button again. Okay. Sorry. Well, no, glides off. Yeah. Thank you. I assume the new work with T. Rowe Price with the glide path design is going well. Yes. Regarding T. Rowe Price and the growth manager mutual fund, how is that going? Um, less well. <laughs> Um, there's been significant and persistent security selection issues, predominantly within the tech sector within that fund for some time. Are you recommending that this commissioner or the board should be continue to be patient with him? And our discussions at this point have not gotten to the point that we recommend a search, but we are preparing to recommend a search potentially. And if performance doesn't recover by the next performance update and potentially if it worsens, in the near term, we will likely come back with a recommendation for replacement search. But at this time, we are not recommending that. I would prepare it now. Thank you. Thank you. 
Commissioners, um, I had asked Mr. Taylor to cover this page because we are in the middle of our targeted fund design and um, Callan is ultimately responsible for the manager selection. So this is where we see the performance of the underlying managers and um, the T. Rowe Price as the investment manager, they, they recommend the asset classes. So we wanted to make sure that we go over that so that you're aware of that prior to our meeting next month where we'll bring a final recommendation to the board. Please understand the board is ultimately responsible for anyone who manages money in the deferred comp program, not just a consultant. Understood, thank you. Any other questions? Any other questions? Right. Um, I don't think we need to take any action on that. Any uh, public comment? Seeing none, public comments closed. Madam Secretary, please thank you for your presentation. Thank you. Uh, Commissioner Bridges. And Mr. President, I would like to thank Mr. Taylor and the Callan Group and uh, Ms. Chu, Justin, and her team. They put a lot of time into yeah. this entire process and working together and trying to get us prepared to bring uh, recommendations back to the board. So just wanted to acknowledge their work and the time they put into it. Thank you. Thank you for saying that. We really appreciate it. Thank you, Ms. Chu. I appreciate that as well. Thank you, Carmen. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. Um, please call the next item, Madam Secretary. Thank you. Item number 13, action item, review and approve SPURS travel reimbursement policy. Dun, dun, dun. Excited. Go ahead, Madam CEO, CIO. <laughs> Commissioners, uh, with, with this agenda item, I want to highlight what, what, what we are reviewing, um, seek your approval, and explain why we are reviewing it today. So our travel uh, expense policy, which actually had been a schedule, it's part of a broader policy, uh, hasn't been reviewed since 2010. Well, since 2010, we have things like ride sharing and, and other areas. Um, so it was prudent from just a, a, a governance perspective and a, a evolution of, of travel to update this policy. Um, we also wanted to make sure that it provided guidance um, on areas that maybe had been silent on in the past, um, where perhaps if I looked at the controller's office uh, policy uh, and they had language on, on there that is um, that 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 makes sense and it clarifies things that we went ahead and incorporated um, uh, concepts like that in, into our policy. And I wanted to ensure that for our travel, as we have had in the past, but we continue to be focused on appropriate documentation, um, we need to spend these dollars prudently and um, make, make sure we're documenting uh, that they're prudent and reasonable when we spend, spend the money. Um, why are we bringing this to you today? Well, number one, travel certainly ha has picked up uh, post-COVID. Uh, and as we've discussed in the past, um, central to our fiduciary duty is to be able to go out and meet with managers, conduct diligence, go to education uh, seminars. We take uh, that diligence process very seriously and uh, travel expense reimbursement is part of that broader uh, process and fiduciary responsibility. Since I have been on board, um, it has been, there have been increasing obstacles for our team to get their travel reimbursement expenses approved. Um, and it has taken significant staff time and growing staff time to get this addressed. 
We have um, individuals that on their personal credit cards are sitting on um, travel dollars, which are, is for board business. Um, and, and importantly, um, we fund these uh, travel expenses out of, out of our fund. And so why I wanted to bring this to you today was to make sure that the board is in full agreement in terms of what our policy is, understand why we're spending these dollars and provide support going forward so that we can move forward and get our expenses approved per our policy, the SPURS policy, um, and have our team travel as we need to do for our uh, mission and for our fiduciary duty. Are there any questions on the changes that we've recommended? What are the changes you recommended? They are red lines in the... <laughs> Mr. President, I do that. Madam Commissioner Bridges. Yes, um, to our um, CEO, CIO, can you hear me okay? Yes. When you say delay in, in processing, is that delayed because of going through the controller's office and all the points of um, processing? Is that part of the bottleneck that you're experiencing? Uh, correct, and um, making sure that our policy is the one uh, that is followed. Right. So the policy that, that you're recommending here today, I, I'm trying to see if it's going to make it easier and seamless for staff at Spurs going through the same process to controllers, or is it going to complicate? That's what I'm trying to figure out. Because I know that the process is not the best for the city overall. I know that for sure. So there's the, the logistical and yes. technical aspects of that. Um, part of the challenge is that there's a Spurs policy yes. and a controller's policy. Exactly. That's why. That and we have gotten to the point where um, anything that is different in our policy from the controller's policy has mm -hmm. not been approved. That's exactly so I, what it, <laughs> I, I want to make current our policy and have the board acknowledge that this is the SPURS current policy. And and to our president, who's probably more familiar with the, the controller's policy, more than so than I am, do most departments uh, have their policy the same as a controller? Okay, that's all. All the city and county of San Francisco travel reimbursement goes through the controller. Yeah. So, and so the issue here is, is that there the policy hasn't been updated in a long time. Uh -huh. So, what I, I, you know, the the COCI came to me. Um, I called the controller, and the controller said that he, that he was committed to continuing to work with the COCIO to get this right. One of the things they asked for was, can you please update your policy? Right. And look for some areas of overlap. You know, I'm just to highlight something, for example, they have a certain rate for hotel reimbursement. If there's not an easily accessible hotel within a certain area, if there's food that's not easily accessible, then they then they have flexibility to go above the rate that they've um, they're probably less inclined, just to be honest. They're you know, people ask for a first class trap. That's not gonna happen. No. So I just let's just be honest with that. Like that that's very, very to, to to be clear, first class travel is not allowed uh, according to this policy. Um, and what and what so we I just wanted to say that for the record because it was one of the things he highlighted with me, and I said under no circumstance is that. So anyway, we're just making sure that our policy lines up with the policy, and if there's any areas of difference, there's a reason for that difference, and it's clearly spelled out. 
And if it's helpful uh, for the commissioners, uh, as part of this process, I did reach out to uh, other plans in the state to understand their policy, not again that their policy is right, but they are subject to similar um, conditions, situations, legislation, et cetera. Um, and some of the language that I did add in uh, re regarding hotel reimbursement is similar in that if, if um, an individual is staying at a location, a hotel that is greater than the GSA rate, we've required additional documentation to explain why that is uh, necessary. And, and I would at then most uh, conference hotels will always be above the GSA rate because the conference hotel rates, which they want you to stay when, when the conference is, the GSA rate is going to be half that in most cases. Because I know about that from the local, state, and federal level. And the federal government sets the GSA rate. So if you ever look at the comparison, it's always going to be different. So I think at that point, you have to make a decision. Do you stay at the conference hotel? Do you find a hotel that's in the GSA rate? So, so our policy um, sort of has two buckets. Mm -hmm. if, if it is a conference with a conference designated hotel, um, we will uh, pay for that conference right. hotel at the conference rate. At the conference rate, that's what I mean. Um, and then, then we have a set of criteria if it's not a conference related event. Right. What the that makes sense because I know the GSA rate is it actually changes every month. I don't know if you know that the GSA rate, the federal government changes that rate every single month, and it based on is based on occupancy rate in that particular city. So, if for example, in DC during high during spring break and cherry blossom season, GSA rates much higher. So it's something to keep in mind to monitor, and I'm not sure who monitors that. <laughs> I know it's it's really it's it's an interesting scenario. I've gone through this with the Fed, that's why I know it. Okay. Any other questions, commissioners? Okay. Thank you. I think that was for wait, no, we actually have to make a we have to make a motion. So are there any members? Yes, a question. Oh, you do have a commission? I was just gonna make a motion. Oh. Well, okay. Go ahead. To approve uh, the uh, Snippers travel reimbursement policy as provided by staff. Good job. Is there a second? Second by Commissioner Bridges. Are there any members of the public that wish to comment on this item? Seeing none, public comments closed. Um, so a motion been made by Commissioner Thomas, seconded by Commissioner Bridges. Uh, any additional discussion, folks? Nope. Okay. All those in favor? Aye. 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 All those opposed? No. The ayes have it. Madam Secretary, please call item number 14. Thank you. Item number 14, discussion item, review of audited financial statements and supplemental schedules for the years ended June 30, 22, and 2021, and communications to the Retirement Board for the year ended June 30, 2022. Commissioners, I would like to introduce you to Christine Lee. She is our finance manager. Christine became finance manager when Jim Burrell retired in, I believe, 2021. This is her first appearance before you, but I wanted to give you um, some, some highlights as to what she does for us. She oversees all of the trust fund accounting, not just for SPURS, but for the SFDCP and the Retiree Healthcare Trust Fund, which you don't oversee, but which SPURS is responsible for administering. She was also instrumental in preparing the budget that you approved last month. And she is the liaison with the controller's office with respect to that. She is also the point person and the, and the principal liaison for the department um, when the controller's 
accountant prepares the audited financial statements, and that is before you today. Christine, I'll turn it over to you. Thank you, Karen. Good afternoon, board president and commissioners. Every year, SPURS conducts financial audit and issues financial statements. And MGO is the external auditor that performs fiscal year 2022 audit. Today, we have Craig Honor, the audit director, and Yia Yang, the assurance supervisor, to make a presentation to the board and answer any questions that you may have. Craig, please proceed. Thank you, Christine. Uh, before I begin the presentation, we just want to um, take a moment to thank the, the Board of Retirement for giving us the opportunity to come in and present the results of our, our audit. And I also want to take a moment to thank the staff and the management, everyone at SPURS for all their assistance provided uh, to us during the audit. As, as everyone may know, an audit, we ask a lot of questions. We do a lot of um, testing, ask for a lot of documentation to support all the um, amounts and conclusions that management has has reached in creating their financial statements. And so with that, um, we'll go into our audit results presentation. As Christine mentioned, we performed an audit for the fiscal year ended uh, June 30, 2022. And as a uh, result of our audit, we issue three reports. Um, the first report is in, is in the financial statements themselves. And then the second two reports are in a separate document addressed to the Board of Retirement. Okay. So as far as the audit results, our first report, as I said, is in the very first um, section of the financial statements themselves. And this report is the, um, it's the main reason why we do the audit is where we provide our opinion on the financial statements. And we are, um, we're happy to report that we issued an unmodified opinion on the financial statements uh, for the year ended June 30, uh, 2022. Now an unmodified opinion is the highest level of assurance that an um, independent auditor can give an organization regarding the fair presentation of the financials. We issued our report on February 3rd, 2023. And there's a couple of additional items in our report um, that we wanna highlight that the financial statements themselves are prepared by management in accordance with generally accepted accounting principles or US GAAP. And then we, as the external auditors, we audit those financial statements in accordance with generally accepted auditing standards and also with government auditing standards and with the government auditing standards, it comes a little more um, criteria, a little more work that we have to do, which we'll explain in the in our next report. Um, and lastly, on the on our opinion on the financial statements in that in our independent auditors report, we included what's called an emphasis of matter uh, paragraph. Now, what an emphasis of matter is, it's something that we want to highlight or that we put in our reports to highlight for the board to direct them to somewhere else in the financial statements. And this being that the um, the financial statements of SPURS themselves don't purport to report the financial position of the city and county of San Francisco as a whole. Um, so the emphasis of matter, it doesn't change our opinion. It has no effect on anything. We just want to have to put that in there to bring that up in this instance. Um, any questions in the financial statements or in the independent auditors report they're on before I move on to the next report? Any questions? No, thank you. Okay. Yeah. So the next report that we issue um, has to do with internal controls and uncompliance. And this is, as I mentioned, when we perform an audit in accordance with the government auditing standards, we're required to consider 
and report on internal control over financial reporting. We don't provide any assurance over it, but what happens is as a part of our audit, if we become aware of any deficiencies in the internal controls, as FERS that rise to a level of what we um, define as either material weakness or a significant deficiency in the controls, uh, we have to report those those to the board in this report. We're, we're happy to report that um, for the year end of June 30, 2022, we didn't um, identify any such deficiencies that rose to that level. And on a, on a side note there, we also didn't have any just um, any other deficiencies or control deficiencies that we would just report to management. So all in all, the um, from what we saw, the internal controls seemed like they're functioning as designed and operating effectively. And the second part of this report has to do with compliance with laws and regulations, um, contracts or agreements. And as part of an audit with the government auditing standards, we um, we have to review laws, regulations, um, you know, city code plan provisions for items that could um, have a material effect or a material uh, or could directly affect the, the financial statements and make sure that there is no non-compliance. So we're happy to report there again that um, there were no such matters of um, non-compliance that affected that. So again, we don't provide any assurance on the controls or compliance. However, had there been anything material, we'd be required to report that here. Right. So our last report we have is known as the required communications. And what our required communications report is, is at the at the end of um, or the conclusion of every audit, we're required to report certain certain matters and certain items to those charged with governance, those who are charged with overseeing the entity, in this case, the, the Board of Retirement. So we've kind of broke it out into three different groups here. The first one has to do with qualitative aspects of accounting. So with accounting, we all think that, you know, quantitatively, we have numbers, we have balances, but there's also a lot of um, qualitative items that go into it. The first being the accounting policies that management chooses or that uses to record the transactions into the into the general ledger and then ultimately report in the financial statements. Um, the significant accounting policies that management uses are um, identified or they're discussed in note two to the financial statements in the note disclosures. Um, and for the year end June 30, 2022, there were no new accounting policies, no significant changes to the existing policies and and more importantly, none of the policies that management uses lacks authoritative guidance or consensus. So there's nothing that they're that's you know coming out of left field that they're using in trying to um, justify a transaction. The the next item under the qualitative aspects of accounting has to do with accounting estimates. Now using Can I interrupt. Yes. Uh, for note two, could you point us to a page number or is that? Yes. Well. Sorry, I got spun around flipping through the pages and sure. That's a transcription. No, oh, thanks, Christine. Okay, yeah. So it's on page 20 of the financial statements report. Thank, Thank you so much. Yes. Thanks, Christine. Okay. So Okay, so uh, going back to the qualitative aspects of accounting, there's um, under uh, US GAAP and then accrual basis of accounting, there are certain balances and items that are in the financial statements and the note disclosures that where management has to make estimates. And we're um, required to point out the significant estimates that are in the financial statements. The first one being in the note disclosures themselves. 
it has to do with the um, what's called in the accounting world we call it the total pension liability and the net pension liability. It's um, if you translate that to the actuarial world, that's the accrued the actuarial accrued liability and the unfunded liability. But this is, is significant because it's based on actuarial calculations, and it's ultimately what the city and county of San Francisco have to report in the as a net pension liability in their financial statements. Um, other significant estimates are the determinations of the actuarially determined contributions, which again are done by actuarial studies and um, really complex calculations. And then finally, the fair value of investments, specifically relating to the um, what I'll call alternative investments, or your real assets, private credit. Of private equity and the absolute return strategies and um, what we do to audit these significant estimates is in the case of the um, anything actuarial related so the actuarial calculations of the of that actual determined contributions or the total pension and net pension liabilities we actually um, have a consulting actuary as part of our audit engagement team and they'll go through all the assumptions that have been selected all the um, calculations and then they'll review some sample uh, data as well, just to make sure that the um, that the information that's being disclosed in the financial statements is reasonable, as it relates to um, you know actuarial standards of practice, and then also um, uh, U.S. GAAP and our GASB standards. Uh, for the fair value of investments, what we do to get comfortable with um, you know management's estimate of that value is we'll select samples, do some our testing of our own for anything that's publicly traded, so any equities or or bonds or fixed income, and then. For the alternative investments, we'll go and obtain, um, you know, quarterly information for the uh, for net asset values, and also look at audited financial statements of the investment funds themselves, and make sure that they received unmodified opinions. We'll look at see who the auditor is, make sure it's a reputable firm. Uh, we'll look through their um, valuation uh, policies and procedures to make sure that they're following the required uh, accounting standards and that the funds aren't reporting any um, going concern issues themselves that could affect the ultimate valuation. Um, now moving on to some other matters, uh, we're happy to report we didn't have any significant difficulties um, during our audit. We didn't have any disagreements with management and um, you know, as far as we know, management um, wasn't consulting with another any other accounting firm, you know, looking for second opinions on, on transactions. Uh, lastly, as far as concluding our audit, there weren't any uncorrected uh, financial statement misstatements, and there weren't. Um, and management uh, signed our uh, representations, which is the last um, item that we need, the last piece of audit evidence that we need in order to issue our reports. So, with that said, so that concludes the presentation on the financial statements, and I'm happy to take any questions. Seeing no questions. Thank you so much for your presentation. Appreciate it. Um, any members of the public wish to comment on this item? Seeing none, public comments close. Madam Secretary, please call the next item. Item number 15, action item, review and approval of actuarial audit consulting services, request for proposal. Good afternoon, commissioners. The board's monitoring and reporting policy specifies a frequency of every five years for the actuarial audit. The last audit was in 2018, so it is time for a new one. I have provided an updated RFP. I'm happy to answer any questions. I do have one change. 
In the introduction section, this uh, RFP was drafted in February. In March, early March, we updated our website. So there is a reference that says uh, the very last line of the introduction where it says see about SPURS and publications. The reference should read see resources and publications. But uh, I am, you know, again, happy to answer any questions. Any questions, Commissioner Driscoll? No, I'm just going to move the adoption of issuing the RFP. Great. I have a second. Seconded by Commissioner Bridges. Um, any members of the public wish to comment on this item? Seeing none, public comments closed. So motion been made by Commissioner Driscoll, seconded by Commissioner Bridges. Any additional questions, discussion? Seeing none, all those in favor say aye. Aye. All those opposed, the ayes have it. Motion Thank passes. Thank you. Thank oh. you. Thank you so much. Madam Secretary, next item. Item number 16, discussion item, review of quarterly retirement services dashboard. Commissioners, you have before you the quarterly dashboard that we have prepared that really highlights the, the retirement services operations division. Um, it should be self-explanatory. There are two separate reports. One is for the end of the year, and then there's one for the quarter, and I'm happy to answer any questions. I have one question, and it's kind of productivity related. Looking at, I think at your page number, but I guess it'd be page four. It's in terms of connecting with members and processing applications. I'm looking at the count of applications going up slightly faster. Though I know we've added a few attorneys. I'm just wondering if we'll ever get the caseload down. In, in disability, specifically with respect to disability? Well, that's where it seems to be yeah. a lot of attorney work, little, the, the head case count. There seems to be more applications coming in than cases being settled or closed, whatever they're forgetting. Well, the goal is in, in hiring the new attorneys to work the cases that we would in fact catch up and stay even. So it's a little hard for me to, to tell you right now. I, we, I have noticed that we have a lot of applications coming in and I've thought of that as well, but it's a little too soon to tell um, whether that will be the case because the attorneys that are on board now are really focused on taking care of the backlog. And um, while we've made significant progress with respect to that, the backlog is still there. Okay, well, again, thanks for this page for this data. Uh, we'll continue to watch it to see if it yeah. really turns out. Thank you. Great, thank you. Um, any members of the public wish to comment on this item? Seeing none, public comments close. Madam Secretary, please call the next item. Item number 17, discussion item, Chief Executive Officer's Report. Right. Uh, a handful of uh, items to update uh, the board on. Uh, first, uh, as a reminder, um, the Form 700 filings are due, so if you haven't uh, completed that, uh, please do so. What's the due date? Uh, sorry. April 3rd. 
You yeah. guys all gave yeah. different dates. <laughs> once at April 3rd, once at April 3rd. We'll confirm. What's the date? It's April 3rd. April 3rd. April 3rd. Um, secondly, in the um, CEO report, um, you may have noticed I changed the design of the forward calendar, um, hopefully to make it easier for you all to um, see what's coming up next um, and, and sort of highlighting the board meetings and the committee meetings will make it easier for us to update and hopefully easier for you. And with that in mind, I want to highlight that we have a lot of activity for the month of April uh, with respect to committee meetings. The IC committee meeting, investment committee on April 6th, the DC committee meeting on the 12th, and the governance committee meeting on the uh, 14th. So um, thank you again for everyone's help in getting those meetings on the calendar. There's a lot of important business going to be conducted uh, during the course of those uh, committee meetings. Um, and then finally, um, just wanted to share, I've gotten a few questions um, uh, about uh, committee meetings uh, and in-person attendance versus uh, remote attendance. And um, Cecilia could certainly get into all the details um, as necessary, but, but to be clear for committee meetings, um, participation is in person. Uh, there are very narrow exceptions and those exceptions are limited and limited to only, I believe, two times uh, per year. So for all intents and purposes, um, the uh, committee members and board members should plan to attend uh, those meetings in person. Are there any other questions? Any additional questions? Uh, I think earlier there was a comment, public comment about CIM. Um, what What's our, just, do you, I don't know if you know this off the top of your head, but what's our investment with them? And can you describe that a little bit further? Sure, and if Tanya, you won't, um want to describe um, some of the, the details that you have at, at uh, in terms of the investment. I, I do want to share, uh, and I'll turn it over to Tanya, that we have looked extensively um, at, at, at this matter. We take our partnerships uh, seriously and want to understand how our managers invest. We've had multiple conversations with CIM to understand uh, this particular property, their approach to incorporating ESG into the process, their uh, approach to, to mitigating risks, and, and importantly, uh, their approach to um, following the law. And we are comfortable um, based on all those conversations um, that the the manager um, were comfortable with our investment and were comfortable with the approach that they have taken uh, in, in managing the property and and, um, and and taking these factors into consideration. And I'll turn it over to, to Tanya. Before, before Tanya, I was going to say actually, and if we are going to, it sounds like we're getting a little bit more into the weeds here of of an inquiry that's not on the agenda. Okay, so it might be a good idea be instead of hearing from Tanya today, unless that was already going to be part of your CEO report and it didn't look like it from the materials. So we're, we're not allowed to ask about anything that comes up in the meeting related to public comment. I mean, we have the ability to inquire generally about previous investments. Well, if there's something on the agenda that would suggest to the public that that is going to be the item that's going to be discussed, but I don't believe there's any agendized item that would have put the public on notice of that. 
So I'm suggesting that if we want to get into something more in depth and hear from Tanya about that, then we put that on the calendar for future meeting. So, um, okay. So, Mr. President, if I then if I may make a request for the next board meeting uh, that we hear from staff on uh, the CIM investment, and my concern also is this investment. We've heard from. Um, Tennis, not just in the on the East Coast, but it's this started in Los Angeles and moved beyond. So now it's moved much further. We've heard from unions. So I, I really want to have a complete breakdown and understanding because we have a constituency that obviously is very concerned. And and since we're fiduciaries, we I'm concerned as a fiduciary that we've made the right decisions and the best choices for this investment. So I would like to hear more about it at the next board meeting. That's fair. And I would just say just in general, it would be good to know the extent of our investments with them and some of their practices yes. in terms of property management. And it's one thing to say they're following the law. It's another thing to get concrete data. And so if we can, if we can, if we can know what the specific number of evictions and other related entities and if there's any lawsuits so we can get that a full report on the next agenda that would be helpful and commissioner thomas did you have some stuff yeah any other commissioner you have well, just on this subject in terms of this manager who manages this sorry thank you in terms of this particular manager has a significant um, amount of capital with us or we have with them to manage does anybody foresee any problems that we should act between now and the next board meeting? Besides just gathering information and having a discussion with them. Um, we've been looking into this matter and, and can address the, the, these questions in, in detail. And, and one, this is a private market investment, so we have to think about that. Um, and two, there's um, no need for a special meeting. So we can wait a month. Thank you. Okay, great. And just to add on to it, they've also we've heard uh, um, numerous comments and uh, allegations of union busting on behalf of some of their um, companies that are owned by CIM as well. It's my understanding, you know, that we have limited exposure or no exposure to those. But I, what I'd like to have included in the report is some component that deals with uh, um, uh, their engagement with these other companies that they own that engage in union busting. Okay, great. I think we've given enough direction. And if there's additional direction that's needed, you can contact CEO, CIO, and ask her to help shape the agenda item through me. Um, any other comments or questions for the CEO's report? Um, <coughs> just because it's been in the news this week, and I know the banks are working with Credit Suisse and First Republic, is there any additional information that you want to give us on any of those banks? Um, not not in addition to what I shared earlier on SVB, um, Warmont things very closely, and, and sometimes in financial markets things move quickly. But as of two thirty this afternoon, I, I think the, the comments that I shared earlier um, re reflect where we stand with respect to our assets and our business. Okay, thank you. Uh, seeing no other comments, uh, are there any public comment on this item? Seeing none, public comments closed. Uh, item number eighteen. Uh, Secretary. Item number 18, discussion item. Retirement board member, good of the order. Any comments or concerns from commissioners? 
anything they want to announce? I just wanted to Commissioner thank Thomas. I, I just wanted to thank you for um, the CIOCO for reformatting the Ford calendar. It's so much more readable now. I appreciate that. Thank you. Great. You're welcome. Anything else? Okay. Any members of the public wish to comment on this item? Seeing none, public comments closed. Item number 19. Item number 19, adjournment. We are adjourned. Thank you.